This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey everyone, just a quick disclaimer before we get started. Today's episode deals with topics of depression and suicide. So please use discretion today. And if this is a subject matter you're not fully comfortable with, we recommend you maybe give today's episode a skip. Lastly, if you or someone you know is struggling with depression or suicidal ideations, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. Thanks for listening. You're listening to Facing Evil, a production of iHeartRadio and Tenderfoot TV. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals participating in the show and do not represent those of iHeartRadio or Tenderfoot TV. This podcast contains subject matter which may not be suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Facing Evil from Tenderfoot TV and iHeartRadio. We are your hosts. I'm Yvette Gentile. And I'm her baby sister, Rasha Pecorero. And with us, as always, is our amazing producer, Trevor Young. Howdy, howdy. What's up, Trevor? I love it when that Texan comes out. (laughs) Howdies and y'alls all all around. (laughs) Howdies and y'alls. I love it. Well, Trevor and Yvette, I really wanted to reach out to the two of you today and to our listeners because, you know, Yvette and I have been fortunate to do a lot of press over the last few weeks and... One particular person asked us a question that I think is so important for the three of us <laughs> and for oh. our listeners. And she said, what do you do for self-care when you're not doing Facing Evil, when you're not talking about these crimes and these these horrible things that are happening? So like for me, I loved that question because it made me kind of stop. And I was like, oh, like a couple things. One... I'm very thankful to be in therapy, (laughs) you know, because mental health is health. And my therapist, she actually ended up, sadly, she she passed away not not too long ago unexpectedly. Mm -hmm. And I have a new one (laughs) and I had already started seeing her. But that therapist, her name was Karen. And she told me every day, you know, set a reminder on your phone. And it literally says, Rasha, practice mindfulness for the day. And she's like, I don't care if you say one good word to yourself or if you go and take a hot bath because she knew I loved hot baths. And so that's my one thing that I can do for myself every day. But I want to know, I want to know, Yvette, what do you do for self-care? And then I want to know what you do, Trevor. Gosh, there's so many things that I do. But for me, it's really about getting outside and taking in the fresh air, you know, 
putting on my running shoes, you know, that's really therapy for me. And just, I don't have to type in a password, you know, to go to my yoga or to the gym. <laughs> it's just putting on those shoes and and getting outside and just letting whatever is bothering me or, you know, exciting me, just let it all resonate and take off running. That is kind of my my go-to right now, as well as, you know, I have a little ritual that I do every morning where I light incense um, to bring on the new day and to be divinely blessed and protected, you know, as our mother would always say. <laughs> so those are a few of the things that I do. Trevor, what about you? It's interesting. And I think it's probably a very good question for this episode. Um, mm -hmm. For me, I think I learned a long time ago that the best thing I can do for myself is have a healthy and regular inner dialogue that's constantly mm -hmm. running. So I'm constantly talking mm -hmm. to myself. You know, I think that's one of the great things about something like therapy is you're just working through things with somebody, right? Like you're kind of playing yeah. chess with somebody, but like chess for your brain. And so <laughs> what I've always sought to do is kind of be playing chess with myself all the time, you know? So if I'm feeling something um, or if I'm, you know, just have something on my mind, I just always talk to myself. I'm like, so why am I feeling this way? You know, oh, maybe it's because you were, mm. you know, this or that, or you had gone through this the day before. And I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. And that makes me think back to when I had this experience, you know, so I'm just always kind of working through things mm -hmm. in my head. Um, it's not always possible, especially if you're really tired or stressed out. <laughs> True. <laughs> so, you know, when you can, and I always try and set situations up for that sort of thing. So I do, I do that best probably like on drives, uh, walks, you know, um, bus rides, whatever it is. And uh, that kind of keeps me objective, keeps me aware of where I'm at and how I'm feeling and um, kind of helps me process a lot. So, And I think all of that self-care is really amazing to think about and talk about. And like you said, Trevor, I think it's great for today's case. And I would be honored if you could actually take us through it. My son was my best friend. Through the height of his depression, I was by his side trying to build his spirits and to affect his behavior positively. She just thought she was an acquaintance of Conrad's, nothing more. At the heart of this closely watched case, her text messages and phone calls encouraging him to commit suicide and the debate over whether words can kill. Many questioning whether Michelle Carter should have ever been charged in the death of her boyfriend, given that no other internet case has resulted in a homicide conviction. And now, big questions about that light sentence she got that seemed to stun the victim's family. Conrad Roy was an 18-year-old from Massachusetts who died by suicide in 2014. He had just graduated from high school and was getting ready to attend college. But Conrad had struggled with depression and suicidal ideations for years, having attempted suicide two years earlier. And then, on July 13, 2014, Conrad was found in his truck, dead of carbon monoxide asphyxiation in an apparent suicide. The family soon learned that leading up to his death, Conrad had been texting with a girl named Michelle Carter. When police searched his phone, they discovered hundreds of text messages from Michelle, urging Conrad to take his own life. The following year, Carter was indicted for manslaughter. The case and the trial became highly publicized as one of the first cases to ask, was someone criminally responsible for encouraging someone else to kill themselves? And since then, there have been numerous documentaries and even a fictionalized television show about the case. 
And so, what really led to Conrad Roy's death? To what degree was Michelle Carter responsible? And what does this case tell us about the mental health needs of youth in the age of technology and social media? You know, Trevor, I remember when this happened. And to be honest, I I looked at it from two different perspectives. One, my daughter was very young at the time Mm. that this happened. And, you know, we didn't have social media when Yvette and I were kids. And I think you did have it a little bit, Trevor. But I think what was so shocking to me is, like, could his girlfriend, could Conrad Roy's girlfriend have actually caused this? Was she the reason he finally decided to do it? And I do want to be a little sensitive to, you know, people who have had, you know, suicidal ideations or or thoughts of suicide. I, I am not one of those people, no matter how bad it's gotten for me. I've just never been in that dark of a place, thankfully. But I asked my wife before doing this episode, if I could share a little bit of her journey, because when this happened, of course, I always think about her, right? And I know her history and she's been very open about dealing with depression every day. And she herself has attempted suicide a couple of times in her lifetime before we met. And, you know, before I met her, I think I always thought that someone always has a choice, right? Like they can always choose to not do it. But sometimes maybe they just don't have that choice. Maybe it is medical, maybe it is chemical. And like mental health is so, 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 so important. It it is. And it's so important and it's so different for everybody. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we're realizing, especially, you know, with this story that we're about to tell. You know, I can't even imagine, you know, how Conrad's family felt when, you know, they discovered these thousands and thousands of texts from this girl that they don't even know. Mm, Yeah. Like, how could this and why did this happen? Yeah. And that's something we're going to obviously talk about today. But I will just say, this is really the time period in someone's life that is the most sensitive, um, probably, right? Right. That's not true for everybody. But like being a teenager, being an adolescence is very emotionally difficult. And the fact is, Conrad Roy was indeed part of a bigger, though regrettable, trend. Mm -hmm. And the data does actually show that teenage boys are more likely to die by suicide uh, than girls, which is something to consider that maybe not everybody knows. Yeah, that's it's so true. And and there's another trend, too, uh, that I learned about while researching for this episode. And Rates of teen suicide and mental illness have actually increased in recent decades. And one report showed that the suicide death rate among people between the ages of 10 and 24 increased 56% between the years 2007 and 2017. God, yeah, I believe that. That is an alarming, alarming number. I mean, why do we think this is happening? And especially to teens. What do you guys think? I mean, it's. There are like a lot of things that experts have looked at um, and there's like plenty to pick from, especially in today's day and age, right? Right. uh, So one big factor that we can look at is economic stress. If you remember um, 
2008, which mm-hmm. is right at the start of those numbers you mentioned, Russia, there was a huge recession that had a massive impact on a lot of families, especially kids, including my own. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but there's the fact that social media started popping up around that time. And I, I do think social media has had a huge negative impact on the emotional development of a lot of kids, a lot of teens, you know, um, I had MySpace in middle school. (laughs) (laughs) Good old MySpace. Yeah. um, And then I think like Facebook was just starting to be a thing when I graduated high school. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, it feels like everybody has their own phone. Like all the teenagers have TikTok. (laughs) And I know for a fact uh, that, you know, the the sort of imagery and the sort of, um, you know, expectations for what your life should be like through something like TikTok is like not super healthy. I think it's pretty toxic. Yeah. So all this to say, I think social media and phones, not healthy for kids. And I think the numbers reflect that. Agreed 100%. You know, I have, as we know, I have a love-hate relationship with with social media. (laughs) Rasha is the one who introduced me to MySpace. And I think mom is the one who introduced me to Facebook. (laughs) Like I, I had no clue, you know, but I... I agree with you. And I think this is something that we can see in the story of Conrad Roy, you know, Mm -hmm. dealing with this social media. So Trevor, with that being said, can you please shed light on Conrad Roy's story? Yeah. So Conrad was born on September 12th, 1995 in Mattapoisett, Massachusetts. To all you New Englanders, I'm sorry if I butcher that. (laughs) Conrad worked with his family's marine salvaging business, and after high school, he got his own captain's license from the Northeast Maritime Institute, which is very impressive. Very. Uh, He was super intelligent, had a super high GPA in high school. Um, But Conrad did deal with a ton of issues growing up, of course, not limited to depression and anxiety. He allegedly also dealt with abuse from his father and grandfather. Mm. And then when his parents divorced in 2012, uh, Conrad did attempt suicide. Mm. Luckily, on that occasion, he was unsuccessful. I can totally relate to this because divorce, when you talk about divorce, and I remember when, you know, my parents divorced, how devastating that can be on kids, you know, having to go through a messy divorce, you know, with their parents and they're seeing all of that. So I'm sure, you know, Conrad had a lot more going on than even his parents knew about Mm -hmm. at that time because they were probably going through, you know, their own things, obviously. Um, But this is about the time that Conrad actually met Michelle, and this is back in 2012. Yeah, it's interesting how this kind of lines up. But both Conrad's family and Michelle Carter's family happened to be in vacation in Florida at the same time in 2012. Uh, They're both from Massachusetts, though. So the two of them met, their families kind of found each other, and they started texting and messaging each other, Conrad and Michelle did. I know Michelle also dealt with mental health struggles, like just like Conrad Mm -hmm. did. So, of course, I'm sure they had a lot in common. And she also was on Celexa for anxiety and depression. So, you know, again, they probably cemented a bond during this time, talking about all of the things that both of them are going through. And I think all the things that teenagers talk about, right? Yeah, yeah. And they were bonding over something that they both were openly going through. 
And it's during this time that, of course, they proclaim their love for one another. You know, I remember we had beepers back in the day. You know, like I think my <laughs> my high school, yeah, my high school sweetheart would text me. No, I'm see, I'm even saying text would beep me the numbers <laughs> one four three, which meant I love you. You know, so I'm like, oh, you know, they said one four three. That means they love me. So I, I think that was <laughs> kind of what Michelle and and Conrad were were going through at the time. And I think they only met in person a handful of times, right? I think like five times they only met. Right. I mean, somehow though, they only lived about an hour away from each other there in Massachusetts. And uh, sometimes they'd like make plans to meet up, but it never seemed to really work out. Uh, I guess when you are maybe a little far away, it's hard, but they claim to have had a really strong connection over technology, over phones. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was basically little to no face-to-face interaction between these two. Most of it was online, and that's where the spark seemed to be. Um, Michelle herself, I know you talked a little bit about her mental health mm-hmm, struggles, mm-hmm. but you know, at least in school, she was very liked and very popular. Her classmates voted her most likely to brighten your day, <laughs> and maybe that sort of extroverted personality is what attracted Conrad. Um, she also as you alluded to, had been dealing with mental health problems since I think she was like eight or nine. So Uh I read that she had had an eating disorder when she was very, very young and had been put on uh, various forms of medication like before middle school, which is wild. Very, very very young age. So, I mean, with everything you just said, it just makes sense that, of course, they probably mostly talked about, you know, stuff like this, like suicide, right? Yeah. And she allegedly actually says that at one time she talked him down, or I should say a number of times she talked him down from his suicide attempts. And this is over the course of, you know, two years or so, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in fact, a month before he actually did take his own life, she writes to him, and I'm going to be quoting a lot of different texts over the course of this episode, but here's one. She said, quote, you need professional help like me, end quote. But then that changes. On July 12th of 2014, the day before he was found dead, she sent this really chilling message at 419 in the morning. She writes, quote, you can't think about it. You just have to do it. You said you were going to do it. Like, I don't get why you aren't, end quote. And he writes back, quote, I don't get it either. I don't know, end quote. Oh, God. It just breaks my heart. I would be like, don't do it. Right. I mean, that's the weird part, right? That's what makes this case weird is that she seems to be really... Egging him on? Well, like, supportive at first, but, like, there's this weird turn that happens where she's, like, all of a sudden, like, eh, just just do it, right? Just just get it over with. Like, she's kind of, like, frustrated that he's not... Actually going through with it. Yeah, like, going through with it. And that's, like, the kind of, like, nugget of of evil that people seem to kind of latch onto when we talk about this case. It's, like, what would drive someone to do that thing? Or, Or, and why was there a turn? Right. Why did she flip, right? Yeah. Why did she flip? He was clearly hesitating. Right. right? He yes. was like not fully sure about this thing, but it's it's clear that she's at least like pushing on him by this point. And apparently he's sort of anxiously texting all day and his family does notice this. And his sister Camden actually told reporters that at the time she didn't know who he was texting with, but in fact, 
he was texting with Michelle Carter. And the two were going back and forth about his plans to kill himself later that day. And he wrote to her that he was worried about leaving his family behind. He really loved his family. And he wrote, quote, like, I want them to know that I love them, end quote. Michelle's response was, quote, they know. That's one thing they definitely know, end quote. And earlier, she texted, quote, everyone will be sad for a while, but they will get over it and move on, end quote. Gosh. Like, it's so sad. And then around six o'clock that evening, Conrad drove off in his truck saying he was going to see a friend. And that was the last time his family would ever see him alive. We do need to take a quick break, but we'll keep moving with the story when we come back. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. So it wasn't like Conrad Roy to disappear for very long. He'd driven off in his truck late the afternoon of July 12th, and his family had no clue where he was. His mother, of course, became concerned and texted him in the middle of the night, but received no response. Still, she was assuming that everything was okay. She knew about his struggles with depression, and she truly believed that he would overcome it. Then something odd happened late that night. Conrad's sister, Camden, received a text from Michelle Carter. To Camden, Michelle was just this random friend of Conrad's who lived somewhere else. So his sister really had no idea the connection that these two had. She didn't know that they were supposedly boyfriend and girlfriend. She just knew that they had met, right, on vacation. Right. Yeah, nobody did. Yeah, and in talking about this to a reporter, Camden said that she thought her brother and Michelle were just friends. But in this message, Michelle tells Camden, quote, we're boyfriend and girlfriend now, end quote. And then she asks, quote, do you know where your brother is? End quote. Ooh, this this right here is... Like, my first thought is, like, this is sick. Yeah. Because she knows where her brother is. And for her to say that, that is disturbing. It also makes me think of a sociopath. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't quite add up. It's also weird that she would make this declaration that they're boyfriend and girlfriend now. I mean, if you're assuming that Conrad has taken his own life by this point, like, why are you... I don't know, suggesting that you are like together and dating. It's just like she she wants to feel seen and feel important in this horrific time, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like she's in in control of the situation somehow. 
Anyhow, so the next day, the family does go searching for Conrad. And at one point, his mother gets this sort of uh, what she describes as a rush through her body. And she kind of senses spiritually that her son is gone. Mm. Uh, And it turns out that he is. And they find him in his truck in a remote corner of a Kmart parking lot. So he had turned on a gas-powered water pump in his truck and let the cabin fill up with carbon monoxide. And he died of asphyxiation. Mm. Yeah. And meanwhile, Michelle Carter's weird behavior intensifies. She ends up showing up at the funeral a few days later and apparently makes a little bit of a scene. Yeah. uh, A friend of Conrad says Michelle seemed to be acting out the role of a grieving widow. It's almost like like she was obsessed with Glee and the characters on Glee. It It seemed like a performance. Right. Right. But the family then discovers she's been also organizing this charity event in Conrad Roy's name. And the family has no idea. (laughs) Yeah. And Michelle presents herself as this anti-suicide advocate. And she did set up this memorial. It was actually a memorial softball game in his memory. And all of this just strikes the family as odd. One, Mm -hmm. they didn't even know who she was. And I watched a documentary all about it. She set it up in her hometown rather than in Conrad's. Yeah, it's it's weird. I wonder like how she sees herself. That's like the one thing I can never really get a good grasp on the more Mm -hmm. I like read about this and, you know, watch videos. Does she actually see herself? as an anti-suicide advocate? Does she actually Mm. think that she's like a positive force making a difference in the field of mental health? Uh, Or is this all like this really kind of like messed up, you know, power trip facade thing? And I I really don't know, but, you know, it's either one, she's like an evil person or two, she's like delusional. Those are like the only two options I can see here, you know? I think it's both, Trevor. I I would have to say, I mean, just in my opinion, you know, like, yes, she is delusional. And at the same time, what she's doing is evil. I would like to jump in as a devil's advocate for a moment, only because I know what I was like at 17. You know what I mean? Like, granted, I, I was never in that position, but her brain wasn't even fully developed yet. And she herself had mental health issues. That's the only thing I can, you know what I mean? Like she was 17. Yeah. She was 17. Does it make it okay? No. Was she an anti-suicide advocate when she talked him into killing himself, you know, just a few days prior? No. Yeah. That's a good point. I do think we forget that like, yeah, you're right. Like her brain's not developed. She's a minor. Yeah. It's still heartbreaking. And I have to say too, you know, like even, you know, her doing all this, like for me, I would be like, who is this girl? Where did she come from? But I'm sure, you know, at the time, right, her family, they were in shock, you know, and grieving the loss of their son. So they're thinking, oh, you know, I know the mother is thinking, well, at least he had this girlfriend who loved and adored him. So she thought. Even though they didn't know about her in the moment when he was alive. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, let's talk about the investigation then. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's ruled a suicide and the police do decide to look into it a little more. Um, And they find his phone. They're able to get into it. And that is where they discover all of these messages from Michelle Carter. 
So he had erased all other text threads on his phone except for the ones with Michelle. So mm. it was almost like a focal point when they checked his phone. It was like all these messages were there and that was the only thing on his phone. Hmm. And in the messages, what they find without a doubt is very damning. I know we've read yeah. a few of them, but here are some more we can go into. I mean, no, no kidding. I mean, let's get into it. In one exchange, he asks her, how was your day? And she responds, when are you going to do it? My day was okay. How was yours? I mean, how bizarre is that? And to me, that's like, that's just cruel. Yeah. Yeah. It's so gross and creepy. Yeah. And it goes on and they talk about their day. And then she says, again, when are you going to do it? Stop ignoring the question. What the hell? Mm. Just keeps egging. Mm -hmm. And there's yet another exchange. This is after he's been depressed for quite some time. She's advocating for suicide as his best option and writes, quote, it's painless and quick, end quote. And this is between all of these professions of love for him. <laughs> so it's like kind of manic, right? Like going back and forth. And one thing that's incredibly chilling is that she even brings her friends into this. So just over a week after Conrad dies, she texted a friend telling her she's worried that she'd be implicated in his death. And she does this sort of with, of course, <laughs> all the drama of a teenager. And she writes to her friend, Sam, quote, Sam, they read my messages with him. I'm done. His family will hate me and I can go to jail, end quote. Later, she tells this friend, Sam, that she was there when Conrad Roy actually took his last breath. So obviously, I mean, she is clearly taking pleasure in this, like in all of it. And again, like she, she knows, she knows what she did. Yeah. I mean, I think she probably at least has some sort of like twisted logic in her head that, yeah. You know, this was like the right thing to do somehow. Like this was like a mercy and that like, it's just that nobody else will understand, but like, at least we know that we loved each other and this was like the healthiest thing or, or something like that. Yeah. It's, it's almost as if it's like the whole thing is very intoxicating. Like mm -hmm. she's playing out on both sides right. of it, you know, she acts like she loves him yet. She wants him to take his life. Right. Right. And yeah, it's very much a movie, and I can understand why it was made into a miniseries on Hulu. Like, I, I totally can see the dramatization of it. But, again, we have to remember, right, when we were teenagers, you know, how everything was so loaded with drama. Well, I was never dramatic. I don't know what anyone's talking about, but, you know. <laughs> many, sure. Okay, many, Rush. I know, just kidding. But, no, many, you know, especially, you know, teenage, you know, more feminine kids, like I think they definitely have a flair for the dramatic. And even when you're talking about death, when you're talking about it, it doesn't seem real. Right. So maybe Mich Michelle didn't think he was actually ever going to do it. And she was just being super dramatic because we don't fully understand, I think, when we're teenagers that anyone's going to die. Right. And that's that's kind of the sense of what I, I'm getting here. It I don't think she was a cold-blooded, heartless murderer. I just think she needed, she was reaching out for help as well, I think. Yeah, I mean, going back to my question earlier about like whether or not she was just delusional or a bad person. I mean, the way the way you say that, you know, leans towards the more delusional yeah. 
theory, right? That, you know, in her own mind, maybe she really thought this was like her own Romeo and Juliet story mm. in some kind of dark, twisted way. And therefore it was justified. I feel like she's just like doesn't have a grip on reality. And I think maybe some of her other mental health issues would back that up. Yeah. <laughs> so absolutely. I mean, in the medications that she was on as well, right? Exactly. Exactly. And that's something they bring up a lot in the trials, which we'll get to. So speaking of trials, though, Michelle Carter is, in fact, indicted. So on February 4th of 2015, they indict her with involuntary manslaughter, and she is arraigned the very next day and charged as a youthful offender since she was only 17 at the time of Conrad's death. And so this big trial is where a lot of crazy things happen. So we're going to talk about that trial in just a minute. We do have to take another quick break, though. So we will be back after that. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. At trial, the prosecution has an abundance of evidence against Michelle Carter in the case of Conrad Roy's death. And they have so much evidence, of course, in the form of these thousands of texts. So first of all, she helped him find his method. She actually wrote to him, and another quote here, hanging is painless and takes like a second if you do it right, end quote. Right. I mean, we know, though, that that's not how he actually died. Right. Um, but five days before his suicide, she sent him a news release from the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission uh, entitled, quote, Winter Warning, Portable Generators Hold Top Spot in CPSC Report on Carbon Monoxide Deaths and Incidents. So she sends him this report. And then minutes before, they'd been texting about ways to generate carbon monoxide. And then she tells him in another text, quote, Google ways to make it, end quote. Wow. And then she sends him this news release that I just mentioned, and he responds, quote, portable generator, that's it, end quote. So Ugh. that's where he gets the idea. Mm. And it's so crazy because they actually made a TV show, which is on Hulu, and it's called The Girl from Plainville. And this story, it it garnered so much attention because, again, how often... Have we seen on television where a teenage girl tells her boyfriend, just kill yourself, just do it, right? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, it could be this sort of thing happens more often than we know about, but it, it definitely felt like the first public case of this sort, which is why it gets so much media attention, which I know we'll get to in a second. But the, the only other thing this case reminds me of is 
a very different type of scenario, but kind of goes back to this question of whether or not 17-year-olds with mental health problems uh, should be held accountable is uh, the DC sniper case. If you remember, one of the shooters was a 17-year-old boy who was largely Mm. kind of uh, opted into it by an older man. And there was always this question of like, you know, should the 17-year-old be held accountable for something that like maybe he was led into doing by an adult, Mm. manipulated, Mm -hmm. maybe brainwashed even. You know, it it becomes very gray because the more that you talk to him, his name was uh, Malvo, Lee Malvo, um, you know, the more you realize, like, he definitely had enough facilities to, like, know right from wrong by 17. Mm, And I think you can kind of apply that same logic to Michelle here, which Mm. is, like, at 17, like, say what you will about some of her mental health problems, but you still generally have an idea of, like, what is right and what is wrong. Right, yeah. Um, And the fact that she was texting her friends, like, hey, they're going to get me if they read these texts. Like, she knew this was wrong Mm -hmm. and she was going to get in trouble for it. So that's what they're all looking at right now in this trial. Uh, The other points the prosecution makes are that Michelle spent weeks talking Conrad out of his doubts, you know, all that. Your family will get over it stuff. You know, she was trying to, like, chip away at some of the things that were holding him back. (laughs) Yeah. And I guess we just go back again and again, like, why would she do this? Yeah. And I I was watching a documentary earlier today preparing for our episode, and I saw the prosecution arguing that she was desperate for friends and attention. And days before Conrad's death, she sent texts to the girls that she supposedly wanted to get closer with, wanted to be more popular around, pretending that Conrad was missing to get their sympathy. Like she kind of had a dry run a few days before he actually took his life. And in fact, prosecutors went so far as to say that Conrad (laughs) still being alive was actually a problem for Michelle because of the the lies she had spun a few days earlier with her friends. So if he remained alive, it would expose her as a liar. Right. So, I mean, that kind of censures it. Yeah. Um, But really, that's not even the darkest part of it. So at about 6.30 on the night of his death, they end up talking for 45 minutes or so over the phone. So according to one article, quote, During that conversation, as the cab of the truck filled with gas fumes, Roy decided to get out, Carter later told a friend. And in a message she probably didn't expect to ever become public, she wrote, quote, I fucking told him to get back in the truck. (sighs) Yeah. So he actually was like backing out of this. He was ready to get out of that truck. And right at the last moment, she told him to Follow through, get back in there, finish the job. So, so gross. It's like she put the nail in his coffin, even though he's the one that put himself there, right? Absolutely, she did. Mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds like she wanted him dead. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, And meanwhile, you know, she's already lying to her friends and saying that she was afraid he'd killed himself. Mm. Yeah. So, so disturbing on so many levels because, first of all, she knows where he's at. She could have, you know, easily called his mom, called his sister, called 911. But instead, like you said, she put the nail in the coffin and Mm -hmm. told him to get back in the truck. I mean, Yvette, like you said, she's kind of playing both sides of this, right? Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, she's trying to be the, you know, virtuous girlfriend, but then also trying to like gain sympathy, knowing full well that this is like kind of a sham situation that she's been in in control of the whole time. Mm. Right. Well, let's talk about the defense in this trial. 
So those defending Michelle Carter say that Conrad Roy was planning to kill himself anyway and point to his past attempts. They say she didn't threaten or physically assist him, that she just wanted to help him, I guess basically to escape the mental anguish that he was in. They also say that she should not be charged as an adult, and they frame all of this as a matter of free speech, and this becomes a slippery slope you get into when it comes to right-to-die issues, uh, which we probably should talk about at some point. Maybe not today, but... Despite all of this, uh, she is indeed convicted. She's found guilty of involuntary manslaughter, and she's sentenced to two and a half years, made up of 15 months in jail and a period of supervised probation, which is pretty short. It is. Very short, so yeah. that means that she's out already today. She was released in January of 2020, getting out three months early for good behavior. Yeah, and it's actually kind of sad when you think about it, because in her yearbook, Michelle was voted quote, most likely to brighten your day, end quote. Yeah, that's the irony here, right? Yeah, that is the irony. When looking at this case, like, I just have to go back to words are very powerful. Mm. And those words that she sent in that text, you know, telling Conrad to get back in that car, to me, that is an act of violence. She could have gotten him help. She could have gotten him help. But the words that she chose were so incredibly powerful that he got back in that car and now he's not here. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that like she's partially responsible for this, right? Right. It's just like the question is like, to what degree? And then also like what what is the right punishment for the level of involvement that she had? Because there hasn't really been anything like this before, right? There's not much of a precedent. I don't know. And and that's part of this next maybe big last topic here, which is that this case became huge. It was notorious. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember mm-hmm. seeing Michelle Carter's face everywhere in 2014. <laughs> yeah. We've had documentaries. We've had the fictional show uh, all about Michelle Carter on Hulu. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. What do you guys think? Like, why are people so into this case other than that? You know, I guess we've never seen anything like this before. It's just fascinating because you you look at her like she's a beautiful girl, like you would think everything is fine in her life. So, you know. Right. And I I think part of that is she's like good looking, seemingly, you know, pretty. She's white. She's from the suburbs. And she was caught doing and saying these horrific and horrible things. And I think that fascinated people in a way. I mean, People love salacious true crime, and this is as salacious as you can get. It's messed up in so many ways. Yeah, there's a bit of cognitive dissonance there, I guess. And I guess I've always not liked necessarily how the coverage of the story focused on Michelle, you know? Um, And not Conrad. Yeah, exactly. You know, I guess she is like the monster of the story, right? Like when we hear about Jeffrey Dahmer, we hear about Dahmer. We don't hear about the people he killed usually. Right. right. You know, people like to focus on the person. And, you know, coming from the journalism world, they, you know, red flag that all the time. Like, don't talk about the shooter when there's a school shooting, right? You know, right. don't talk about right. the killer. Don't give them attention. Don't give them a platform. You don't want to inspire other people. No. You know, only talk about the victims. And the truth is, like, this isn't about Michelle. No. You know, we're mm-hmm. talking about a bigger problem here where youth today are dealing with an epidemic of depression, you know, as we said, bolstered by social media and phones and all of that stuff. So that's what we should be talking about. Yeah, Trevor, that's right. And those statistics you mentioned at the top, I mean, there's been 
a huge increase in recent years, which is so sad. Yeah, I mean, 2007 to 2017 was that window mm-hmm. that we saw like yeah. a 50 plus percent jump. Um, you know, and I think we definitely, we need to curb that somehow. You know, we need to realize that social media is probably making things worse if we don't regulate it. And that's what I was saying at mm-hmm. the top. You know, we need mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. I think, try harder now more than ever to, you know, provide mental health resources and like really think about the effects of kind of isolated phone time. You know? Yeah. Yes. And words are powerful, right? They are. They are. And I think it's all about having conversations, right? I'm a parent myself. Our little girl is 10 and she has very fiercely protective moms and aunties and uncles taking (laughs) care of her, but it's about having conversations. So I want to encourage all of the parents or, you know, just guardians out there. You don't even have to be a parent. You can be an uncle, an auntie, a cousin, a friend, you know, check on your kids and you know, look at the messages and the things that they're consuming. Like I get a report every week of what Leilani is watching on YouTube, but we have that open dialogue and conversation. So I I hope that other caregivers out there can do that with, you know, the young people in their lives as well. But I know that we can't control that. Uh, We can't wrap our kids and our youth in a bubble. (laughs) You know, I think I remember Conrad Roy's mom saying like, I wish I had, you know, tied him, you know, to the radiator the day before. Like, you can't live your life like that. So resources, like we have said, are very, very important. And I would love for you all to check out the Youth Mental Health Project. They have a comprehensive list of issue-specific resources, everything from depression to bipolar disorder to schizophrenia. And we will, of course, post more resources on our website. Our final message of hope and healing this week is dedicated to Conrad Roy and other people who find themselves in a deep struggle with depression. Severe depression can feel like absolute despair, and it can seem like there's no way out. Depression is an illness, and it's very real. We want to share with those who are going through depression and those who know people struggling with it that it can get better. Yes, and many people can get treatment for depression. And they are glad that they took the steps that they needed in order to start feeling better. And it starts by asking for help. Maybe Conrad Roy was never able to fully take those steps. Today, we honor him, his family, and everyone out there who's ever struggled with depression in their own family. You are not alone. Onward and upward. Imua. Imua. Well, that's our show for today. And as we said at the beginning of the episode, if you or someone you know is struggling with thoughts of suicide, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. We would love to hear what you thought about today's discussion and if there's a case you'd like for us to cover. Find us on social media at Facing Evil Pod or email us at facingevilpod at tenderfoot.tv. Until next time. Aloha.
Facing Evil is a production of iHeartRadio and Tenderfoot TV. The show is hosted by Rasha Pecorero and Yvette Gentile. Matt Frederick and Alex Williams are executive producers on behalf of iHeartRadio, with producers Trevor Young and Jesse Funk. Donald Albright and Payne Lindsay are executive producers on behalf of Tenderfoot TV, alongside producer Tracy Kaplan. Our researcher is Claudia D'Africo. Original music by Makeup and Vanity Set. Find us on social media or email us at facingevilpod at tenderfoot.tv. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio or Tenderfoot TV, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.